I'm going to ask you to turn to 1 Corinthians 15. And let's uh, go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for blessing us tonight with this time together. Thank You for blessing us with Your Word. We ask that You give us direction. We ask that You grant understanding. Lord, enable us to grasp Your truth. Enable us to comprehend the significance of these things that we're talking about and the great hope Lord, that uh, is expressed here in Your Word. Hope for us, sinners, dead in sins, and yet now raised to life. And looking forward to a day when, when we are in a sinless existence in Your glory forever. Father, we thank You for these things. And again, we ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Um, any questions or anything on what we've talked about so far in this chapter? No burning issues? Okay, great. I've got several, but uh, <laughs> that's one reason I'm finding it hard to move along. I keep looking at these things. But... Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd like for you to. Um, yeah, <laughs> that's interesting. I mean, it really is interesting, but there's just not much we can say about it. Um, you know, the um, the Mormon, that's actually a practice in the Mormon uh, religion. They they baptize. In fact, they've, they've basically got a goal of baptizing um, this doing these proxy baptisms for everybody. That's that's why they keep the genealogical records that they do. That's why they have information on you and me um, that you would think, why is this valuable to anybody but me? You know, they have your genealogy. And it's because they want to um, make sure that all your ancestors are baptized. And of course, like I say, they do it by proxy. But uh, strange practice. For the dead, yeah. Yeah. Trying to make sure everybody gets to whatever their idea of heaven is. But, huh? <laughs> some some people don't appreciate it, for real. For real, I you know. I mean I mean in a bad way. I don't appreciate it either, but I mean but I'm not mad about it, but but some people get mad about it. Um but um they, you know, there we just don't know what was going on here. It may not be that... Uh, that uh, certainly when you look at the language, it, it, it sounds uh, plain enough. In other words, just like it's translated, they're baptized on behalf of the dead. Um, but maybe there's there was some... Maybe, maybe that's some, uh, an analogous to, you know, way of doing something. It could, could be just talking about... Um, one thing that comes to my mind, is, and again, this is, this is speculation. This is why I'm not going to go far here. But one thing that comes to my mind is you, you, you are, are baptized um, because you're dead, dead in trespasses and sins. So, I mean, you, you can come up with all kinds of little meanings like that for it, but if you just take it at face value, it, it's the idea of getting baptized 
in behalf of those who have already died. All right, so I guess enough there because we. Similar, similar, yeah, similar, yeah. And why don't we do that? Well, because the rest of Scripture. I mean, we know there's uh, if a person is saved, justified by faith alone. So, in other words, there has to be um, on somebody that has the the, the, the cognizance and the capability. There has to be a profession of faith. I mean, we we know that from other passages of Scripture. So we don't pray for those who have already died. We don't baptize in behalf of those that are already dead um, because they would have to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ while they were still here <laughs> in the case of the dead. Possible, but but there again, yeah, they, they yeah, but that's possibility, you know, I suppose. Okay, um, so we're gonna pick up in verse thirty-five, and I'm gonna go ahead. I'm gonna go ahead and read through the end of the <clears throat> end of the chapter because a, a, a lot of it we may finish, but a lot of this will be, need to be taken in a big chunk anyway. Okay, verse thirty-five. But someone will ask. Now, now remember, let me just, real brief introduction here. Now he's, he's going to talk about uh, the nature of um, our bodily resurrection. He's been talking about you know, that it is a fact. It's going to happen. Now he goes into to somewhat uh, talking about the nature of it. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as he has chosen, and to each kind of seed its own body. For not all flesh is the same, but there is one kind for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are heavenly bodies, and earthly bodies. But the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is of another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of stars, for the stars for the, for star differs from star in glory. So is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, The first Adam, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable 
inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortal immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Side note, and I'll explain if I get time. If not, you'll just have to research it yourself. But I, I, I guess I, I never realized, or it's never dawned on me before until today when I was doing some last-minute stuff and going over this again. The, the, theologically, um, the similarities here but in, in this chapter and uh, Romans 5 and 6, and, and well, Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, you get in all the way into the first part of chapter 8 because in Romans 5 and 6, Paul talks about what we talked about this morning. If you're in Adam, you die, or, or, or rather all in Adam die, all in Christ are made alive. And so he uses that same analogy in Romans 5 and 6 and then goes on to talk about that we are raised because we're in Christ. We are raised up in the likeness of His resurrection. It's, it's, it's an inevitable um, fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We are raised up in the likeness of His resurrection um, to walk in newness of life. And of course, you know, that gives us hope for eternity as we talked about this morning. Um, and then you get down here that what we just read, the sting of, de- of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through Jesus Christ. That's Romans 7 and 8 right there. Um, so I don't have time to go through that right now, but <laughs> other than what I just told you, but you may want to you may want to go back and read Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8 and, and 1 Corinthians 15 and compare. I mean, it's not, it's not a shocker. It comes from the same Holy Spirit and, and through the same apostle, but, but still, um, there's some great similarities there. All right, so now he's talking more about the nature of the resurrection. And this is one reason, uh, I think, <clears throat> coming from the, uh, the uh, Hellenistic mindset, especially with the background of, of uh, Greek philosophy, it would kind of be a question that would be raised. Well, if, if there's going to be a, um, and no pun intended there, you know, with race, but if there's going to be a resurrection, what's it going to be like? And I mean asking that question in kind of a sarcastic way. How we, how's, the, how's the body going to, you know, explain that. How's the body going to inherit spiritual things, the kingdom of God? So Paul does it this way with his rhetorical question in verse 35. Someone will ask, how are the dead raised? And see, that's the idea there. He, he hears them saying, wait a minute, Paul, how are the dead raised? Come on now. Bodily resurrection, the body's going to die and be decayed. Besides that, the body is sinful. 
And that's what they're thinking. So how is it that the body is raised? With, with what kind of body do they come? And you can kind of tell that, that you know, he's, this question that he's anticipating, he hears it sarcastically. One, you can kind of tell that by the way he answers, right? You foolish person. <laughs> he says, you, you foolish person. Come on, we're not talking about exactly the same thing. In other words, in other words, it's not going to be your body raised up in the same condition it's in now. There's going to be a change. Boy, this is a glorious truth for us. I mean, you don't you don't even ever have to get sick or hurt. Just start getting older. Right? I mean, if you could avoid all accidents and avoid all sickness, in time, just getting older, you start to realize, you know, that this body is lacking. I mean, it's breaking down. So, Paul says, it's not going to be like this. You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. Now, I'm going to read through some of this again, but it, what he's saying is, is it's not the same in the same state when it's resurrected, all right? He's thinking he has, he has the body in view, our body in view. What you sow is not the body that, that is to be. So he's using a farming analogy. What you sow in the ground is not the end result. You sow, you sow a seed, piece of grain or whatever it is, that looks a whole lot different from what you harvest. And that's Paul's point. There's a, there's a great change that takes place. And here's a key to his answer too in verse 38. But God gives it a body as He has chosen. So he, so he says, you foolish person. It's, it's not going to be the same as what you, what you uh, are experiencing now. And besides, God gives it a body as He has chosen. In other words, God does what He likes. He does what He wants. Who are we to question God and, and and this is almost like his answer in Romans nine, when they say, you know, who who has resisted God? Why does he yet find fault? Who has resisted his will? And Paul says, who are you to reply against God? In other words, this is about as about as full as it gets. He says, God gives it a body as He has chosen. He doesn't go into talking about well, well, here's what it looks like. Everybody's got such and such color skin. Everybody's going to have a full head of hair. Everybody, you know, <laughs> he doesn't do that. He says, you foolish person, it's going to be different. And it's going to be according to God's plan, according to God's will. Um, so we don't know. It's, it's, going to be, it's going to be physical, and at the same time spiritual. And I'll try to explain that as we go. But, um, you know, we don't know precisely what we're going to look like. You, you, you look at the Gospel accounts of Jesus... Uh, in his resurrected state. And on one hand, he seems to be like, he still has the appearance of any other man. I mean, nobody's standing back and going, whoa, you know, when he comes down the street or whatever. But on the other hand, at least at times, the disciples didn't even recognize him. So, is that because there was a change in physical appearance? Or is that because, you know, their eyes were just closed supernaturally? Uh, and You know, and I'm... Closed in a, in a way that they couldn't perceive. Um, well, we don't know. 
Alright, so uh, we don't know concerning us too, uh, concerning us either, except that we're going to be like him. So that's a physical existence, apparently looking like a human being. Alright, so verse 39, not all flesh is the same. So he just goes into, there are differences here, and I think that's his, his only point. If you read the, the, uh, the it's, it's almost funny sometimes um, what people try to, some people try to make out of this. If you read the old King James, it almost sounds like close encounters of the third kind, right? <laughs> Terrestrial bodies. Well, that just means heavenly, heavenly bodies. <laughs> but in our day, people connect the word terrestrial with extraterrestrial. Um, but it just means heavenly bodies. And so there's differences. That's all Paul's saying here. In other words, it's not going to be the same. We, we, we have one existence now, earthly. We'll have a different existence then, terrestrial or, or heavenly. Uh, celestial, I keep saying terrestrial, I'm getting them backwards, but, but celestial as opposed to terrestrial. All right, so one existence now and a different existence then. And that's, that's Paul's point. There are, there are differences. So just like there's, there's differences in flesh, there's one kind for uh, humans, another kind for animals, one for birds, another for fish. There are heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. So again, uh, celestial and terrestrial. But the glory of the heavenly is one kind, the glory of the earthly is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, another glory of the stars, for star differs from star in glory. So he's just saying there are, there are different bodies. And that's the way it is with the resurrection. There's going to be a difference. And you're going to see that as we go, because he's going to be using the word change. We'll all be changed. So he says, verse 42, so it is with the resurrection. There's differences, right? Different bodies, different glories. So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. So remember verse 37. What you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or of some other grain. But God gives it a body as He has chosen. So that's the way it is with the resurrection. What is sown is one thing. What is resurrected, what is post-resurrection, is another thing. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. And that's good news, like I say, especially, especially if, uh, if you were identifying with me a while ago when I was talking about hurting and breaking down and all of that kind of stuff. That's because we're in perishable bodies. But, post-resurrection imperishable okay no more no more no more perishing so it is sown in dishonor it is raised in glory verse 30 43 it is sown in weakness boy isn't that true it is raised in power what could be what what could be a better uh, or a more complete i guess um, example of weakness than death it's sown in weakness. It dies. It succumbs to whatever, disease, age. It's sown in weakness. But it's raised, raised in glory, or as he says here, power. It is sown in natural body. It is raised a spiritual 
body. Interesting. That's, that's an interesting distinction that he makes there. The word for natural is uh, suke, soul, or, or um, sometimes it can be translated life, like, like um, Adam became a living soul. In other words, he, he was a being, a living being, natural b- body, but now it's going to be a spiritual body. It's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. It's not meaning they're natural in the sense of sinful, the natural man. Just meaning natural in the sense of uh, physical and perishable. So it's sown a natural body, it's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. That's, um, let's see, what is that? Verse 45. That's the the word suke that I was just talking about. He became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving, not suke, but pneuma, spirit. Became a life-giving spirit. So Paul's making this contrast, just like he did with the heavenly, the, the celestial and the terrestrial, and, the, and the, you know, the difference in the glory and the sun and the moon and so forth. Different bodies, different glory. So now he's making that distinction with um, um, natural, spiritual. At the first Adam was a living being. The last Adam, a living, life-giving, rather, spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. Just like you, would, you don't have the harvest first, you plant the seed, the seed dies, then you get the harvest. So the natural is first, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth. Another way of saying uh, natural, earthly, terrestrial. The first man was up from the earth. A man of dust, earthy. The second man is from heaven. So you've got two origins there, right? Two identifications. The first man of earth, earthy. Man of dust. Second man of heaven. So also are those who are of heaven. So in other words, if you're born um, natural birth, you're of the dust. We say, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, it's to dust if you return because we're of the dust. But in the resurrection, your physical body will not be out of the dust. The, the connection with Adam is, is gone. No more earthiness. No more sin connected with Adam. It's, it's, uh, here, you know, these first man became a living soul or the natural man and so forth. It's talking about um, just what you and I are. You know, we're a- animated beings, animated by human soul. But then in the resurrection, animated by the Spirit of God in, in physical form. So, 
Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We can all, we can all identify with the first part of that. We've borne the image of the man of dust. But here's what Paul is saying. This is, again, this is a great hope. This is what we have to look forward to. We shall bear, we don't yet, not fully, but we shall bear the image of the man of heaven. Christ. Christ, the man of heaven that he's talking about in, in verse uh, 45. The last Adam, Jesus, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. We shall bear his image. John said, we shall be like him, right? For when we see him, uh, we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So, there's a difference. Yes, it's a body. It's a bodily resurrection. But it's, it's not of the same nature of the body that we're in now. It's, it's the difference in man of dust, earthy, terrestrial, and celestial. Spirit animated. Heavenly. Spirit man, okay? Spiritual, in, again, in the sense of um, being raised up animated by the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, not spiritual in the sense of, uh, like we think, you know, well, okay, it's a spirit instead of physical. So, so you just kind of float around and you're invisible. Not spiritual in that sense, but spiritual in the sense that um, we're animated by the power of God. Again, like Jesus. You, you, look at, you look at Jesus' post-resurrection appearances and He was in physical form. He even ate so he says, um, I tell you this, brothers. Again, he's making, driving home his point. Verse 50. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Why cannot, why cannot flesh and blood inherit the kingdom of God? That, that almost sounds like a concession to their thinking. And this is where we have to be careful too. Well, I mean, they would say, and we know this, but, uh, um, we're assuming somewhat that this is what the Corinthians would say, but the Greeks for sure, Greek philosophers would say, the flesh, physical, flesh, your, your, the physical part of your being is evil. So this almost sounds like a concession. almost sounds like Paul is saying, well, that's why it can't, it can't enter the kingdom of heaven. But you're right, but that's not what he's saying. He's, he's saying again, there's, there's going to be a change. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're, yes, you're going to be bodily raised, but it's going to be in a different um, type of existence. Um, no longer perishable. These bodies that we are now in, just like we've been talking about, they are affected by sin. And so it's, 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 a, it's the ultimate healing. I mean, it's when, when that is fixed, when it's done away. So flesh and blood, in the sense that we now exist in flesh and blood, cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. There's huge differences there. So he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. And again, this is his point. It's not going to be identical to what we are now. There's going to be change. We shall not all sleep, that means die, 
We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, he's saying at, at the last day, that's the parousia that he was referring to that we talked about this morning. At the last day, at Jesus' coming, we'll be changed instantly, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, you read over in Thessalonians, he says, the Lord Himself shall descend with the shout, the voice of an, of an archangel, the trumpet of God, and we'll be changed. There, in Thessalonians, he says, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and those who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet Him in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Here he says, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, which is his main focus here, and we shall be changed. We shall be changed. When he says the dead shall be raised there, he means bodily resurrection. Again, that's his whole point in this 15th chapter. Bodily resurrection, but not the same body. The body that you sow is not the body that is to be. It will be changed. In verse 54, And when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Remember what he's already said, Jesus must reign until all of His enemies are put under His feet, and the last enemy to be put under His feet will be death. So this is that point at His coming at the parousia. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? It's defeated. Jesus has undone what Adam did. Adam sinned, we die. Now Jesus has undone that. And I think one of the problems for the Corinthians and for people today is they're thinking, well, I don't see, the, I don't see that. In other words, people are still dying. That's part of the whole reason Paul's having to deal with this. That's one reason he makes the point that even the dead, those who have died in the Lord, will be raised at the parousia when Christ comes. Death, at that point, will be swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. Again, what, a, what, an, what an analogy to Romans. Romans 6 the wages of sin is death. Very similar to what he's saying right here in verse 56. The sting of death is sin. Except it's in reverse. The wages of sin is death. So um, you sin, you die. Here, here he's looking in, in reverse. In other words, what is, what is the sting that causes death? What's the sting of death? The sting, the sting which results in death. I think is what he's saying here. It's not, not, the, not, the, not the sting of death in the sense, like you would say, 
the sting of a wasp. The sting of a wasp hurts. In other words, you mean when that wasp stings you. I don't, I don't think he's meaning it that way here. It's like, this is, this is how death hurts you. No, he's meaning what is the sting that results in death? The sting of death in that sense. It's sin. The sting of death is sin. Sin results in death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 And the power of sin is the law. Again, that's Romans 7. Paul says what is good, the law is good, the law is good and perfect, holy, just. But I'm finding, Paul says, I'm finding that what is good is working death in me. What's, what's the problem? What's the, the, the law is killing us. No. No, it's the sin that's killing us. <laughs> Nothing wrong with the law. The problem's not in the law. The problem's in the lawbreaker. So the law becomes, you know, the, here, the power of death or the... Uh, that which, um, in a sense, kills us because we don't keep it. Again, it's not that the law is bad, it's that we're bad. So the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's, that is, that's Romans 8 and 1. The end of Romans 7... Paul is saying, Oh, wretched man that I am. <laughs> Who shall deliver me from this bondage of death? This body of death. And then in Romans 8.1 he says, What? There is, yeah, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. So who shall deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord, he says. There is, now there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Here he says it this way. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. It sounds like we're done for. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. How? Through the resurrection. Because He was raised, and that is our guarantee that we will be raised. At the resurrection of Christ, God set in motion a chain of events that must, must be fulfilled. That includes our resurrection. That includes His victory over all of His enemies, which includes His victory over death. And so we can say with Paul, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now one last word, similar to what we saw this morning. A final exhortation. Because again, those things, just like we said this morning, these truths should have a radical effect on us now. So Paul tells the Corinthians, verse 58, Therefore, my beloved, that word therefore is, is important. Therefore. In other words, he's saying, in light of everything I've just said, in light of the fact that we're going to be changed, in light of the fact that death is swallowed up in victory, therefore, 
My beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable. Don't give. Endure. Stand. My grandmother told me one time, she said, I'm a Methodist, steadfast and immovable. <laughs> and she was a solid person too. <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> she was. Well, Paul is saying, be steadfast and immovable in the faith, right? Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Remember what he said? In the exhortation this morning, bad company corrupts good morals. In other words, he wants our lives to be to be characterized with good works and morality, not moralism. We're not saved by good works, but but morality as opposed to immorality. The Corinthians were engaged in all sorts of immorality. We we read. I don't know how many accounts of it. Chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, 8, all the way through chapter 11 where they were abusing each other in the Lord's Supper. They were engaged in all kinds of sexual immorality and then just, you know, mistreating each other in relationships and so forth. He says, bad company corrupts good morals. You, you, you need to be living in light of resurrection truth. So be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is, he's saying, we, we tell Jordan this all the time, and the truth is, I need somebody around to tell me all the time. But <laughs> stay focused. Don't lose focus. We tell her that all the time. Don't lose focus. You know, you ask her to do something a few minutes later. She's off doing something else, and we say, did you lose focus? She'll, she'll say, yep. <laughs> I do that too. I do that too. So Paul's saying, don't lose focus. Be abounding in the work of the Lord. Stay focused. Stand firm. Be steadfast. Immovable. I mean, there, there are ways you, you there are ways you gotta stand and there are ways you gotta move. You ever thought about that? I mean it's just that's, that's probably a whole other message. Al Mohler wrote a wrote a uh, not well. It was actually a, a message he preached. I think it was the first one he preached as, as a inaugural message as president of Southern Seminary, and it's, it's just become a classic. You can find it online. But he entitled it um, "Don't Just Do Something, Stand There." And that was in the heart and in the heat of the inerrancy debate, you know, the debate over Scripture, when he was doing just that, he was standing. So Paul says, stand. But then at the same time, he says, do something. You know, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Get busy. Stay focused in the right way. Busy in the right way. Focused on the right things. Knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. You see, that's what he's been saying all along. Your labor's not in vain. Why? Because the resurrection is real. The resurrection is real. Early on, in fact, uh, real quick, and I'm done, but you look, 
real quick back in verse 2. Chapter 15, verse 2. Seems like it's been months ago, doesn't it? <laughs> in fact, I'm going to read 1 and 2. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, and which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. And now here, at the end of his argument, at the close of his argument, he says, look, stand, don't move, stay focused, get to work, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. Because Jesus really did come out of the grave. And because He did, so will we. Hope's not lost. we got great hope in the resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank You for Your Word. And Lord, we do ask for Your wisdom in, in fulfilling this um, final exhortation here from the 15th chapter. That by Your grace, Lord, we will be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in Your work, laboring in hope We pray, Lord, that that be true of us as individuals and that it be true of us as a body, Fillmore Baptist Church. Lord, may we live in resurrection hope and may we be compelled to share it with others. For your glory, in Jesus' name, amen.